Section 11 of Woman and the Republic. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Simona Russo. Woman and the Republic by Helen Johnson. Chapter 5, Part 1. Woman Suffrage and the Laws. In the fourth and fifth counts of the Declaration of Sentiments, the suffragists say, Having deprived her of this first right of a citizen, the elective franchise, thereby leaving her without representation in the halls of legislation, he has oppressed her on all sides. He has made her, if married, in the eye of the law, civilly dead. The following four counts all refer to a married woman's civil deadness, and I will give them in order and then consider the five counts together. He has taken from her all right in property, even to the wages she earns. He has made her morally an irresponsible being, as she can commit many crimes with impunity, provided they be done in the presence of her husband. In the covenant of marriage, she is compelled to promise obedience to her husband, he becoming, to all intents and purposes, her master, the law giving him power to deprive her of her liberty and to administer chastisement. He has so framed the law of divorce as to what shall be proper causes, and, in case of separation, to whom the guardianship of the children shall be given, as to be wholly regardless of the happiness of women, the law in all cases going upon a false supposition of the supremacy of man, and giving all power into his hands. That the women did not find themselves, as might be supposed from their charges, living under the edicts of the Middle Ages, is proved by their hunt through statutes books, for such of the eighteen grievances is related to laws. They also say that, while they had felt the insults incident to sex in many ways, as every proud-thinking woman must, yet they had not in their own experience endured the coarser forms of tyranny resulting from unjust laws, but had souls large enough to feel the wrongs of others. Until they knew what those wrongs were, it would seem they could hardly have felt for them intelligently. It would seem, too, that the great body of American women were also unaware that they had been, and were still being, legally and morally robbed, enslaved, and murdered. In fact, suffrage speakers have been compelled to account for their unconcern by considering it the result of long subjection, and at the same time have had to claim that these stupid beings were fit to rule with and over men. While the counts contain concrete statements, the closing clause, the law in all cases going upon a false opposition of the supremacy of men, and giving all power into his hands, sets forth an abstract idea in justification of which they furnish no proof. In the counts, as they stood in the Declaration of Sentiments, the general laws were not accused of doing any injustice, personal or civil, to an unmarried woman, except in reference to the other matter of withholding the vote, which they claimed was wrong because she had an inalienable right to the ballot and was subject to tax. Not a personal law did they ask to have changed for her protection. They recognized the fact that, unless she was married, a woman in the United States stood upon a legal equality with men. 
the hue and cry in regard to a married woman was that she was not treated as if femme sole the femme sole could make contracts and wills sue and be sued and do all and sundry in her own name that her brother could do with a married woman the situation was different will any one contend that in the past the married woman has been held in less honour than the unmarried can it be thought for a moment that the lawmakers expressed their contempt for wives and mothers and their respect for daughters and sisters who were unmarried tradition and fact poetry and prose romance and reality all go to prove that the reverential feeling of the world has gathered about the wife and the mother the men who made those laws turn for their ideals of abstract justice to their mother's faith and teaching and it seems most incongruous to assume as do the suffrage arguments that while all the laws relating to women were tyrannical at some point those in regard to married women were the ones wherein men embodied their most cruel and revengeful feeling it also appears to be a gratuitous assumption that whatever was different in the legal treatment of men and women came from man's belief in his own supremacy especially toward the wife in whose hands he had committed the keeping of his home and his honour in eighteen eighty one after more than thirty years of agitation on the subject the suffrage leaders said the condition of married women under the laws of all countries has been essentially that of slaves until modified in some respects within the last quarter of a century in the united states and again they said the change from the old common law of england in regard to the civil rights of women from eighteen forty eight to the advance legislation in most of the northern states in eighteen eighty marks an era both in the status of woman as a citizen and in our american system of jurisprudence when the state of new york gave married women certain rights of property the individual existence of the wife was recognized and the old idea that the husband and wife are one and that one the husband received its death blow from that hour the status of the several states have been steadily diverging from the old english codes most of the western states copied the advanced legislation of new york and some are now even more liberal this sentence contains another of the constantly recurring instances of the methods by which the suffrage mind jumps to unwarranted conclusions when the state of new york gave married women certain property rights it recognized their legal existence in a new way but not their individual existence that had been recognized by every act of law and custom from the registry of their birth to that of their marriage or their death socially and civilly every woman in the united states had had opportunity to make her individuality felt and if there was any difference in advantage in respect of this it was supposed to lie within the married woman so true is this that mrs tayton and mrs mott had to hunt for oppressive laws and most of the women of this land have no real sense of the great and liberal change in laws concerning married women since eighteen forty eight i am no more approving of or admiring the old english common law or the canon law concerning women than i am approving of or admiring the law that came to light recently in the transvaal and would have allowed the torture of jameson and his men who as a matter of fact were allowed to go almost unpunished the law of the dutch government in africa belonged to the middle ages their conduct belonged to today 
I only believe that at the time when it was possible for one man to frame for another man such laws of physical and mental torment as every code reveals, their laws for women were the best they could devise, and were those which led to the freedom of the women of today. A law of England still favors only the firstborn son, and he only because he is the firstborn. What wonder that girls have been denied succession, and what an evidence of men's desire to show favor and not the insult incident to sex, that he has placed women on thrones upon which he has had to sustain her by main force. There is no need that I should darken my pages with the English laws concerning married women. The suffrage leaders have spread them abroad. Blackstone says they were intended for woman's protection and benefit, and adds the remark, so great a favorite is the female sex with the laws of England. If I quoted them, I should be constrained to quote barbarous laws concerning men of the same era, and to note the lack of all laws concerning the brute creation, for neither of these matters is touched by suffrage writers. Dr. Jacoby is willing to say that in the eye of the law the married white woman in the North was as devoid of personality as the African slave in the South, and she also says, by another error of interpretation, certain laws which remain on the stated book or which have been recently added, have been considered so peculiarly favorable to women that they are thought to prove a legislative tendency to grant special immunities to women so long as they consent to remain enfranchised. Does she mean to say that the lawmakers have asked the women if they would consent to remain enfranchised? I thought that leaving them enfranchised without asking their consent was, in suffrage eyes, the very front of the offending. The laws that remain on the stated book, and those that have been recently added, go to prove to my mind that the old laws were meant to be generous as well as just. Second, that the trend of legislation is peculiarly favorable to woman. And thirdly, that those laws which between men and men might be looked upon as offsets to suffrage equality between men and woman could not be so considered. They were therefore proper immunities for persons whose consent was not asked through the vote, because in the nature of the difference between sexes, a prime requisite for compliance was lacking. Dr. Jacoby goes on to say, the fear has been expressed that these immunities and privileges would be forfeited where the franchise conferred. And this fear has actually been advanced as an argument as the basis of protest against equal suffrage. Either the law is tyrannical to women, or it is not. If suffrage leaders are actually talking of its privileges and immunities to women and trying to explain them away, we may leave the burden of proof to them. But as to the gist of her remark in regard to the connection between legal privileges and equal suffrage, fear of losing the legal immunities that are granted to both married and unmarried women on account of their attitude as words of the state, when they are not able to assume the first duty implied in giving up their wardship, that of physical defense to themselves and others, is a most legitimate fear, and is a sound reason for protest against equal suffrage. Wrapped up with the legal privileges of women are those of their children, the rights of minors. For boys, special privileges cease at the age of 21. For girls, they do not. Legal equality would set the boy and the girl on the same level at once. 
the law of equality could know no such thing as exception for the unmarried woman or dower right or maintenance for the married woman that would not be equally binding on both husband and wife in germany rich american women are maintaining their land poor husband under legal stress in the style to which they have been accustomed because the law of germany is equal in respect to property maintenance of husband and wife in ohio where suffrage agitation has been persistent the legislature in eighteen ninety four passed an act enabling a husband as well as a wife to sue and obtain alimony pending divorce proceedings we began by talking of legal disabilities and lay by the suffragists themselves are already discussing legal immunities the editors of the history say the laws affecting women's civil rights have been greatly improved during the past thirty years but the political demand has made but questionable progress though it must be counted as the chief influence in modifying the laws the selfishness of men was readily enlisted in securing woman's civil rights while the same element in his character antagonized her demand for political equality if it was his selfishness that procured woman's civil rights and privileges was it his unselfishness that formally denied them the fact that the states that granted them first and most fully are the ones where suffrage has made least progress suggests the injustice of the charge but a question of real interest is must the political demand made by women be counted as the chief influence in modifying the laws in eighteen thirty six judge hertel presented in the new york legislature a bill to secure property rights to married women which had been drawn up under the supervision of the hon john savage chief justice of the supreme court and the hon john c spencer one of the revisers of the stages in its behalf ernestine rose and paulina wright davis circulated a petition to which they gained only five signature among their own sex Ernestine Rose was a Polish Jewess who had renounced all faith with her own. She was an extreme communist, and before coming here to labor for liberalism and woman suffrage, she had presided over a body called an association of all classes of all nations, without distinction of sect, sex, party, condition, or color. Paulina Wright Davis, gifted though she was, was a radical of an extreme type. How much the character of the advocates had to do with their failure, it is impossible to say, but it appears to be another proof of the evil influence of suffrage action upon woman's progress that so good a work should have been in hand so unfitted for it. The bill did not become a law. Mrs. Rose records that she continued to send petitions with increased numbers of signatures until 1848-49 that from 1837 to 1848 she addressed the New York legislature five times, and a good many times after the latter date. That she was not recognized as an aid to legislature seems evident from the testimony that follows. In the previous chapter I have quoted the editors of the history as saying that the first thing that led them to demand political rights was the discussion in several of the state legislatures of these property questions in regard to married women. Another proof that they did not inspire the early laws is seen in the following extracts from a letter from the Hon. George Giddes, written to Mrs. Gage, in 1880, and answering her question as to who was responsible for the Married Women's Property Rights Bill, which was passed in 1848. He said, I have very distinct recollections of the whole history of this very radical measure. 
judge fine of st lawrence was its originator and he gave me his reasons for introducing the bill he said that he married a lady who had some property of her own which he had all his life tried to keep distant from his that she might have the benefit of her own in the event of any disaster happening to him in pecuniary matters he had found much difficulty growing out of the old laws in his effort to protect his wife's interests i too had special reasons for desiring this change in the law i had a young daughter who in the then condition of my health was quite likely to be left in tender years without a father and i very much desired to protect her in the little property i might be able to leave i believe this law originated with judge fine without any outside prompting on the third day of the session he gave notice of his intention to introduce it and only one petition was presented in favour of the bill and that came from syracuse and was due to the action of my personal friends we all felt that the laws regulating marrying women's as well as married men's rights demanded careful revision and adaptation to our times and to our civilization in reply to your inquiries in regard to debates that preceded the action of eighteen forty eight i must say i know of none and i am quite sure that in our long discussion no allusion was made to anything of the kind it would thus appear that neither mrs gage nor miss staten nor miss anthony knew the names of the proposer and defenders of the bill that opened the way in new york for all the liberal legislation that has followed and thirty years after its passage they inquired whether any debates had preceded it certainly then their own had not it is also evident how much selfishness prompted the bill in a pamphlet published by the new york woman's suffrage association to report their proceedings during the constitutional convention of eighteen ninety four it is recorded that mr f b church of allegheny presented an appeal from his county asking for the suffrage in the course of his remarks he said sir beginning in eighteen forty eight the male citizens of the state of new york not of the clamour of the women as i understand it but actuated by a sense of justice began to remove the disabilities under which women laboured at the time gradually from that time on the barriers had been stricken away until in eighteen ninety one i believe the last impediments were removed in eighteen forty four rhode island has passed property laws for married women in eighteen forty eight forty nine connecticut and texas as well as new york did so apparently uninfluenced by anything except their sense of justice in eighteen fifty fifty two alabama and maine passed such laws in eighteen fifty three new hampshire indiana wisconsin and iowa changed their laws in this respect they moved forward in this reform as did the other states before there was even a beginning of suffrage agitation in them in eighteen forty seven mrs c j two nichols who afterward became a suffrage worker addressed to the voters of vermont a series of editorials setting forth the property disabilities of women in october of that year hon larking mead moved he said by her presentation introduced a bill into the senate which becoming a law secured to the wife real estate owned by her at marriage or acquired by gift device or inheritance during the marriage with the rents issues and profits as against any debt of the husband but to make a sale or conveyance of either her realty or its use valid it must be the joint act of husband and wife 
she might by last will and testament dispose of her lands tenements hereditaments and any interest therein descendable to her heirs as if so mrs nichols says that in eighteen fifty two she drew up a petition signed by more than two hundred businessmen and tax-paying widows asking the legislature to make women voters in school matters mrs nichols report is clear sound definite and she seems to have been of real service and to have won what she sought she says up to eighteen fifteen i had not taken position for suffrage although i had shown the absurdity of regarding it as unwomanly she appears to have done a great deal of clever as well as earnest and spirited talking in the west after she had taken position for suffrage and she reports that when she removed to kansas her claims were for equal education rights and privileges in all the schools and institutions of learning fostered or controlled by the state an equal right in all matters pertaining to the organization and conduct of the common schools recognition of the mother's equal right with the father to the control and custody of their mutual offspring protection in person property and earnings for married women and widows the same as for men the first three were fully granted the fourth was changed as to personal service in her pleading for political rights she was associated with john o wattles and the amendment they proposed was defended in the legislature petitions for women's rights and changes of the laws were circulated in massachusetts as early as eighteen forty eight in eighteen forty nine a year after the first suffrage convention ohio maine indiana and missouri had passed laws giving to married women the right to their own earnings a memorial was sent by the suffrage association to the ohio constitutional convention in eighteen fifty from which i take the following we believe the whole theory of the common law in relation to woman is unjust and degrading then follows political injustice we would especially call your attention to the legal condition of married women then follow general statements and quotations from the common law the attention of the memorialists was called by the proper authorities to the fact that the stated laws of ohio had radically changed the general matters charged in answering comment mrs coe said the committee were perfectly aware of the existence of the statutes mentioned but did not see fit to incorporate them in the petition not only on account of their great length but because they do not at all invalidate the position which the petition affects to establish the inequality of the sexes before the law because if the wife departs from the conditions of the statutes and thus comes under the common law they are against her she then adds there are other laws which might be mentioned which really give woman an apparent advantage over man yet having no relevancy to the subject in the petition we did not see fit to introduce them the ignorance displayed here is phenomenal common law is operative only in the absence of stated law the ohio stated as with all stateds superseded the common law and if the woman departs from the condition of the stated she suffers the penalty prescribed therein without reference to her previous position before the law End of section 11